Now, the 19th century American theologian, Archibald Brown, or Archibald Alexander, not Archibald Brown, Archibald Alexander said, too many Archibalds, right? Archibald Alexander said, God is good. He has created and arranged everything in the best manner to promote the happiness of his creatures according to their nature and capacity. Archibald Alexander is saying God is a happiness promoter. You see, many people make a living by promoting themselves, right? There's a lot of that with the YouTubers, especially, right? Of course, the marketing people. Uh, they tend to promote themselves, or sometimes they promote some business venture. Uh, they're trying to sell some product. And of course, many of us are skeptical of anyone who has an agenda uh, to promote something. We tend to look down on them a little bit. We tend to think they're a bit selfish, or perhaps they're economic with the truth, right? Uh, but Archibald Alexander says God is not like any promoter we know. God is good. He loves us dearly, and he wants us to have a true, happy life with him through Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible is a story of God's plan uh, to give us this true, happy life. And we have seen something of his plan in the song we are currently exploring in Psalm 128. Just to remind you that this psalm is part of the Songs of Ascent. Uh, the songs of ascent were songs sung by the people of God in the Old Testament, the people of Israel. And they sang this, and the context is important, they sang this on their way to worship God in Jerusalem or Zion. So we can't understand these psalms and what they are teaching us until we understand that general context. These are songs sung by pilgrims on their way to worship God, to gather together with God's people in Zion. And this particular song, though, is a special song in the sense that this song, Psalm 128 and Psalm 127, they are wisdom psalms. In other words, they are teaching us something about the, they are giving us practical instructions on how we should live. And this particular song, Psalm 128, is giving us practical instructions about how to live a true happy life with God. And I said last week, just to remind you, that the song is divided in three parts, isn't it? Uh, verse 1 to 2 teaches us what true happiness is. And these verses, we looked at them two weeks ago, right? Uh, they show us that happiness, true happiness, is having a devoted relationship with God. You and I cannot have happiness by material things. We can't find happiness by looking deep inside of us. Uh, these things and the world in general and us ourselves is not enough. These things cannot satisfy us because they cannot satisfy the deepest part of us. What is the deepest part of us? Well, the deepest part of us is the, is the soul within you. You have a soul. And that soul has spiritual longings, Right? And those spiritual longings can only be met by having a spiritual life with God. God is the only one who has the infinite and perfect capacity to satisfy our souls. But you see, the problem is that in order for us to have a relationship with this God who is perfect and infinite, 
In order for us to have a relationship with him, right, we need to be without sin. Because God cannot be in a relationship with anyone who has sin. God is holy. God wants to have a relationship with you, but your sin always gets in the way. And the Bible puts it like this in the prophecy of Isaiah, in Isaiah 59, verse 1 to 2. Isaiah 59, verse 1 to 2, says this. It's a very famous passage. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. God is not weak. His hand isn't too short that he can't save you. Or his ears dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your face has hid, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Isaiah is saying, look, we have all rebelled against God. God is not first place in our lives. In order for us to have a true happiness, therefore, we need God to do something about that. We need God first to forgive us. And we can't get God to forgive us. So God must, if he wants to, take the initiative to reach out to us. He must extend his grace and his mercy on us. We need God to take away the rebellion that counts against us, that keeps us from having a true life with him. But there is a huge problem, isn't there? Because God is holy and just. Our rebellion against God demands that he punishes us if he's going to remain himself. At the same time, God loves us, doesn't he? So how does God show us mercy that gives us true lasting happiness we long for while remaining just? That is the big question at the heart of the Bible. The Bible says God does this, you see, by giving us himself in Jesus. The the, the good news of the Bible is that God the Son has entered our world on a mission to live as one of us in order to restore us back to God. Jesus is God the Son who has come as a human being, right? And when he grew up, he was rejected, tortured, and killed by human beings shamefully. And, and the Lord Jesus allowed all of these things to happen to him because, you see, it was part of his eternal plan that he should suffer God's wrath and punishment on your behalf, in your place on the cross. The penalty of our rebellion is death, isn't it? What Paul tells us in Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But praise the Lord, praise the Lord, that Paul does not end there. He goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, Jesus on the cross put, as it were, his head on the chopping block for us. He willingly took the bullet, the guillotine of the cross, to take away our sin against God. On that cross, the Lord Jesus took on himself the almighty wrath of God, not to divert it away from himself. No, no, no. But to fully absorb the wrath of God in his body. 
to be fully crushed by God's wrath. The whole of God's punishment in on himself. He carried on his back, you see, the full weight of God's almighty wrath that you and I deserve. He suffered the very wrath of God in your place. Why did he do that? So that if you repent, and don't get bored of hearing this truth, because it's at the heart of what happens. Why did he do that? Well, he did that so that if you repent and you put your trust in the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, God will forgive and restore you to himself. And what happens is this now, is that the almighty God now comes and lives inside your heart. The almighty God. Just take that in. The creator of the ends of the earth comes and lives deep within your heart. And he connects you to himself. You now have a truly happy life that is filled and shaped by the infinite God. Satisfied by him. And that's true happiness. Through the cross of Jesus. But to have that, you must truly repent and trust in Jesus. And when you do that, God, as it were, gives you this relationship with himself. Now, this does not mean all your problems go away, right? It does not mean that you now wear a permanent smile on your face every day. No, it means that God the Spirit, as, as it were, removed the old heart corroded by sin and filth, and, and he has given you a new heart now that is eternally united to God in Jesus. And because you are now a new creature in Jesus, the power of God, you see, is now at work in your life. And every single moment, the Holy Spirit is making you like Jesus. The goodness of God is replacing your moral filth. His love is becoming your love. His desires are changing your selfish human desires. His joy, his happiness is becoming your happiness every day. So you are becoming from the outside who you already are inside. And we said last Sunday, didn't we, when we looked at verse 3 to verse 4 of his song, that as we grow now in this happiness... Uh, the, the waters of divine happiness in our lives begin to flood every single area of our lives. Beginning with our closest relationships. So we look at verse 3 to 4, how that happiness in God now begins to transform how we relate to our family. As we grow in God's happiness, we bring happiness to our homes. God blesses through us and that he blesses them back to us. But there's another question, isn't it? How does God then grow our experience of happiness on a daily basis? How does that spillover effect, if you like, happen into our family, into our workplaces? Well, the answer is in the verses we're looking at today. Uh, verse 5 to verse 6 of Psalm 128. Look at those verses. It says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. What are these verses teaching us? Well, we could summarize the truth of these verses just in one sentence. 
What these verses are teaching us is simply this. God grows our happiness in Jesus through our gathered worship of God. God grows, if you like, promotes our happiness in our daily life through our gathered worship of God. Please look at me there again at verse 5. Notice what he says. The Lord bless you from Zion. Notice again the word blessed there. It means supremely happy. So we could rewrite the first sentence of verse 5 simply as this. The Lord make you supremely happy from Zion. That's what you say. The Lord make you happy from Zion. And therefore we then ask the question, isn't it? What is Zion? Well, Zion is the city of Jerusalem. And it is often used in the Bible, first and foremost, as a shorthand for the nation of Israel. The chosen people of God in the Old Testament. It's not always the case, and I think it's not necessarily the case here, but it's usually used as a shorthand uh, for them in certain contexts. So at the minimum, if we take the broader understanding of Zion, verse 5 is actually simply teaching us this, that true happiness, right, is only for the people of God. There is no happiness, true happiness, outside the people of Israel. That's what the psalmist is saying in the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. You've got to be part of God's covenant relationship for you to enjoy happiness. The Lord bless you from Zion in the sense that you've got to be part of Zion, as it were. You've got to be part of the broader understanding of Zion. You've got to be in a covenant relationship with the people of God for you to be blessed. Why? Because first, true happiness is having a relationship with God. And if you don't have it, well, you can't be blessed. But verse 5 is saying more than that, isn't it? We know the true happy person of verse 1 to 4 already belongs to the people of God. So he's not simply saying that true happiness comes from belonging to the people of God. What verse 5 is saying, notice carefully what he says, the Lord bless you from Zion. Don't miss that. The Lord bless you from Zion. Not because you are Zion, but from Zion. What does from Zion mean? Well, this is where the context of the Song of Ascent helps us, isn't it? Because this is a song of ascent. As I said at the beginning, this is a song that pilgrims sang as they went to Zion. And what we have therefore here is the picture here of a pilgrim singing this song on his way to worship God in Zion. And while he's on the way to Zion, the pilgrim is asking God to bless him in Zion and to bring the blessings from Zion back into his ordinary life so that his family now can enjoy true happiness and his workplace, if we take verse 2 to broadly refer to that, can also enjoy true happiness. It's this movement of the Song of Ascent to Zion and back from Zion. The Lord bless you from Zion. In fact, we could read on and say, as you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. You've got to see Zion. You've got to be part of Zion. So, when we think about that now, we ask ourselves, isn't it? The pilgrim is asking God to bless him in Zion and bring back with him from Zion that true happiness into his ordinary life. And we think now back to what we looked at in Psalm 122, isn't it? 
We realize what's going on at Zion, what's leading to this happiness at Zion. Then we remember from Psalm 122 that it is in Zion where the people of God gathered for worship. It is in Zion where they enjoyed God's presence. You can flip back to Psalm 122 there. It's a famous psalm. Psalm 122 verse 1 to 4 while you are in the psalms there. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. We could even say, O Zion. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. To which the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So you see, Zion is a place of worship. And therefore, the point that Psalm 128, verse 5, is teaching us is that the people of God enjoy a true happy life, what? By obeying the command to gather in public worship of God. Why does the gathered worship of God increase their happiness? Well, because the Lord, you see, has chosen to commune with them in Zion. And that answer to that question comes from another psalm of ascent. Psalm 132, which we haven't yet looked at. Psalm 132, if you flick forward. Verse 13 to 14 says this. Psalm 132, verse 13 to 14 says this. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. And, 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 you see, and the Lord promised that as they entered this public worship in Zion, where, as it were, he promised to commune with them, he would fill them with true happiness in their lives. Because Psalm 132 goes on, doesn't it? If we read on verse 15 to 16, how we'll abundantly bless our provisions. I will satisfy our poor with bread. And notice what the Lord says. Our priests I will clothed with salvation and our saints with shouts of joy. And we know that this, this blessing of God on Zion, which of course has a future full significance in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this blessing in Zion, this gathering as it were, was not an empty promise, isn't it? We know that because the people of God, you see, grew in their joy and happiness as they gathered to worship God. How do we know that? Well, another psalm would help us. Psalm 84. A famous psalm. You can flick over there backwards, as it were. There's a bit of psalm looking today. Psalm 84, verse 1 to verse 4 says this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, my yes, fends for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God. And then he says this, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. Verse 5 goes on, Blessed are those 
whose strength is in you, and notice this, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Literally saying, blessed are those who make their way together to worship in your presence. And then we can jump over to verse 10, can't we? For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, in the gathered assembly of the saints, than dwell in the tents of the wicked, than do anything else. The psalmist is saying. What's bringing this joy in the psalmist? Why does happiness come from this gathered assembly of God's people in worship? Well, it's not just merely a community feeling, right? It was the fruit of a real spiritual presence of God among his people. You see, we learned in Psalm 122 that God has designed that true worship of God must be a physical and public gathering of his people in his presence. And that's why it's, it's not good enough simply us logging in. We must be physically gathered with the people of God. And this explains, beloved, why all the famous servants of the Lord Je- of, of God, including the Lord Jesus himself, preferred to public gather with God's people in worship ahead of private devotion. The reason they preferred that is because of the happiness that comes from gathering and communing with God. Oh, beloved, King David was a man who enjoyed great happiness in his life. But what was the secret of David's happiness? What was it? Was it being alone by the ship, you know, by himself singing, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, that kind of thing? Was that the secret? No, the secret to King David's happiness is found in Psalm 27, verse 5. A famous psalm. What does he say there? One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may do what? Dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You know what? Some of us think David is talking about coming to church by himself. (laughs) But that's not what he means. One thing I will seek after is that I may dwell in the gathered worship of God's presence. All the days of my life. To do what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To inquire in his temple, not by himself, but to gather with God's people. David is not talking about that... We've misunderstood that psalm if we apply it to our private prayer life. That sort of, I've got to meditate and get deep with God. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's longing to gather in public worship of God in the tabernacle. To feast on the presence of God. Esaph. You know him, right? Esaph. He was troubled in the Bible by the prosperity of the wicked. And Esaph was on the verge of backsliding, wasn't it? What restored his joy in the Lord? Well, we read about in Psalm 73, verse 12 to verse 17. You can skip there. We know that psalm very well, but have we understood it? Because this is what Esaph says in Psalm 73, verse 12 to 17. First of all, he moans about what's going on with the wicked. He says, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches, 
All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. He's by himself, you see. And he feels discouraged on his own. His Christian life, we might say, is going down. And then verse 15 he says, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children, God's people. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. Until when? Until when? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I gathered with God's people in worship, he said. Until I entered the Lord's house. Then I descend their hand. He's by himself. He's unhappy. He gathers with God's people. He's renewed. He increases in understanding. That's Esau's story. The sanctuary is a tabernacle in Zion. The spiritual renewal of Esau comes by by encountering God afresh in the assembly of the people of God. You see, the presence of God in gathered worship unleashes a new grace shaped torrent of happiness that transforms the lives of God's people. When God's people backslide, the first thing God does is to call them to gather in repentance together. Don't take it from me. Take it from the prophet Joel. One of my favorite passages in the scripture is Joel 2, verse 15 to verse 17. You can look it up in your spare time. Joel 2, verse 15 to 17. What does he say? Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate the fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children. Listen to this. Even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room. And, and the bride her chamber. Look. Hot the wedding. He says. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the nations, Where is their God? The answer to revival is there, isn't it? Gathering together in worship, in true repentance, putting the Lord first, crying out to him. That's God's formula for today. Is that not the answer to problems plaguing the church today? Is the answer not meeting physically ever than, ever than before in times of crisis, in true repentance, and to beg God with, verse seven, with that verse in verse 17? Why should they say among the nations, where is your God? How we need that today more than ever. We need it, you see, because God promotes our happiness by our gathered worship of him. And therefore, it's not a surprise that Psalm 128 ends with those words, isn't it? The Lord bless you from Zion. And then he goes on. May you see, physically, I think, the prosperity, that is the happiness of Jerusalem, gather with them. May you do this all the days of your life. And then verse 6 says, May you see your children's children. Their future depends on the gathered assembly. Peace be upon Israel. 
The psalmist is praying that he would continue gathering God's people in Jerusalem. And he's praying that Jerusalem will be a safe and happy place so that the faithful in Israel can gather for happy worship of God. If Zion does not prosper with peace, the people of God cannot gather to worship God. And if they cannot gather to worship God, they cannot grow in happiness. So the biblical principle then is simple, isn't it, from verse 5 to 6. It is teaching us that God grows our happiness through our gathering together physically in true and happy worship. And just as God promoted the happiness of Israel by gathered worship, God grows our happiness in Christ as we gather together in worship, in Zion, with the King of Zion as it were present. Not the physical Zion, because we are now, of course, the true Zion in Christ. And Jesus is the King of Zion when we gather. You see, God is present among us when we gather together because the precious blood of Christ has cleansed the sin from every person here who trusts in Jesus. And God has breathed life into us. Oh, beloved, this is not a gathering of the spiritually dead. This is not an assembly of the living dead. Such worship is strange fire. An abomination to God. Now as we gather here this morning, we are gathering as a living spiritual temple of the one true living God. And that's what makes our worship, you see, a true happy worship of God. Our worship is true worship. It's happy worship, not because we are smiling. It is happy worship, not because we are smiling. I, I think it's good to smile in worship, right? We are not at a funeral, are we? Our Lord has risen. But that's not what makes it happy worship. Our worship is, is not happy worship because we have happy clappy songs, right? Though we can certainly do with the pianist to sing more joyfully than we sing. But that's not what makes it happy true worship. Our worship is true happy worship because we are a living church in the presence right now of the living God. He is truly present with us now. As we are gathered, God the Holy Spirit, you see, right now at this moment is directly ministering to us. He is breathing life on dead souls perhaps who are here. He is strengthening those alive already in Christ here in their happiness. God is using all the things we do for him as we are gathered to grow our happiness in Christ. The preaching of the word, the prayer, the singing, the fellowship, and next week, of course, the Lord's table. God is a wonderful promoter of happiness of his children. And we learned, we are learning, we are learning here, aren't we? That the principal means for which God promotes your happiness is by gathering you here today in worship. God grows our happiness through gathered worship. So how should we respond to this truth today? You've heard the truth expounded, as it were, from this passage. We've seen where it fits in, in the context. And we understand that truth now, perhaps, than we have understood it before. 
God grows your happiness through gathered worship. So what difference should that make to how you live every day? I think we could be here the whole day. Personally, it tells me not to be late for church. (laughs) That's what I took as I was preparing, and I had to repent all over again. I was still late, though, I think. I mean, I was going time, but I was late for my own standard of lateness, as it were. That's just one thing. But there are all things that you can take away from that for yourself. But I think there are three things just to help you as you think about why the application for your life. Three things. First of all, give God your thanks. Give God your thanks for bringing you here to commune with him and to grow you in your happiness. I know you do this every Sunday and probably you just do it because you've always done it and you understand obviously church is good, God commands it in scripture. But genuinely, beloved, this morning, pause to give God thanks for bringing you here today. You see, because you are here today to worship God, God is more glorified by your public worship of him than he would be if you worshipped him alone at home. Do you realize that? Even if you logged on, God will be more glori- is more glorified by you gathering like this than in any other type of worship you can do. Just as we are more pleased when a friend praises us publicly than when they do it in private, God is more pleased by our public worship. Women, I mean married ones, do you want your husband only to praise you in in private? Of course not. You are more delighted if what they are saying in private is also something they repeat in public, isn't it? Of course, if they just repeat it in public, they don't do it in private, then it's hypocrisy. But if you can do both, there's no doubt about it. Public praise of God brings glory because it's a public declaration of his glory. Brings more glory to God than what we tell him just by ourselves. You are born again, beloved, to glorify God. And God is most glorified by you when you acknowledge and worship him publicly in front of other people. Praise God that you're doing that right now. Thank God that because you are here today, you see, God is working to grow your happiness right now. That's the other reason you should thank him. In ways that you cannot even begin to imagine. Thank God that at this moment, God is using this precious means of grace, of gathered worship to protect you from backsliding and ruining your happiness in Christ. There are people that tell me, oh, you know, I'm growing okay. But you know what I know as a pastor? The first step of backsliding is not gathering with God's people. And even those who claim they'll grow more when they worship privately, you see them in a year's time, they are nowhere to be found spiritually. What is the key for you to remain faithful to Christ? Gather the people. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate the fast. Call, be part of this solemn assembly. That's the answer to your personal revival. So thank God that as we gather together, He's reviving us, and you are getting a taste of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like, where we will gather in joyful worship of God. I have no time for anyone who tells me they are headed to heaven if they are not enjoying a taste of heaven now in the gathered worship. How can you look forward to the joyful assembly in the new heavens and new earth if you are not 
ignited by the current joy assembly. It's a lie, isn't it? It's a lie. So thank God that as we gather in worship, we are, we, we are part of that future. Thank God that he has brought you today, not out of your own strength, but because of his grace. Some of you here probably did not feel like coming today. And children, I just want to say, you know, probably you felt dragged here today. But in good time, you learn to appreciate your parents, what they're doing. They're bringing you to, a, to the center of your happiness, as it were. Where you commune with God if you are truly born again. And where your happiness is strengthened. Yes, you did not feel like coming here today, but God, who is rich in mercy, put it in your heart or the heart of your parents to bring you here so that you can commune with him. Especially in these uncertain times of COVID-19 pandemic. You coming here today to be in the presence of God is a sovereign arranged blessing. All of this. Let us be thankful for all of this. Let us be thankful for church because church doesn't just happen. It must be arranged. People must clean the place and, and sermons must be prepared and teachers must be ready to teach the kids. There's a whole lot of things going on. God is doing that for you. Be thankful for that to God for doing that. And he's doing that for you because he loves you. And because he loves you and he wants your happiness, he has not only put it in your heart to come, he has arranged this gathered assembly for his glory and for your happiness. Thank God for that. Thank him for that. Let us thank God, beloved. This is not a work meeting. This is not a meeting over the pub, like a club meeting. This is gathering in the presence of the living God. Communing with our God. It's the height of our lives, isn't it? It must be, surely. It has to be the height. This is the highlight of our week. All of the week is leading up to this moment, communing with God in the public assembly. Thank God for that. And the second thing is, let us resolve then to continue gathering for worship. Having thanked him, let us resolve to continue gathering to worship. No matter what opposition we face from the devil individually and corporately, let us keep gathering. Do you know the devil is opposed to public worship of God? He hates it. Why? Because of the glory point I made. If the gathered worship, if God is more glorified in gathered worship than in private worship, then of course the devil is more opposed to public worship. It makes sense, doesn't it? And of course the devil is not only opposed because he hates God getting glory. The, 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 the devil is opposed to public worship because he hates your happiness. He knows you, are, you grow in happiness by gathering. And so what the devil does, he works flat out to keep you at home or at work on Sundays. He knows if he has done that, after job is done, isn't it? After job is done. If he can keep you from the assembly, that's after job. And so what does he do? Well, every Sunday morning, he prepares for you a long list of excuses and activities to keep you from gathered worship. The devil will say to you, the sermon last week was boring. Too long. Give church a miss. 
Catch up with it online. Or the devil will say, look, that sister never said hello. The church is not a safe place for you. It's not safe for you to be there. Do something else. Or he will say to you, look, you have a busy Monday. You know the devil does this. You have a busy Monday coming up. Is it not better for you to rest on Sunday so you are refreshed by yourself and you can be ready for work on Monday? Now, when we hear that, in light of what we have been listening, we understand the devil is clever and just how ridiculous that is. But who here can say they have never fallen for that trap? We all have in different ways. Even for a job interview, can you believe that? Don't you need God for a job interview? But the devil said, no, no, we've got a job interview, so work on this. And miss church today, um, so you can be fresh for a job interview. The devil gets one over us, doesn't it? Or he will say to you, look how bad you have let God down this past week. You stumbled in that serious sin. You looked at something you shouldn't look at. You are an hypocrite, you know. And you going to church is more hypocrisy on top of hypocrisy. Is it not better for you first to sort out your life than start attending church? Again, that's a lie from Satan. We know that. Because no one can mend themselves apart from the Lord. You see, the goal of Satan is to make you see gathered worship as a roadblock to your happiness not as a means God uses to promote happiness. I don't want to go into COVID. You know what I want to think about that. Psalm 122, we deal with that issue. But let's just be aware, don't we, that the goal of Satan is to stop us gathering. And when we foolishly give in to Satan's temptation, what we're doing is we're trying to fit gathered worship into our personal and life agenda. We, we gather for worship only when our personal circumstances and schedules permit that. But the Bible is saying living like that is shooting ourselves in the foot. Because there is no other way to grow happiness in Jesus than to gather as God has ordained. This is your plan A. There is no plan B for your happiness. The Bible is clear. May the Lord bless you from Zion, from the gathered worship. May you find blessing in the gathered worshiping community of God in Christ and take it back into your daily experience at home and at work. There is no growth in the practical experience of happiness, true happiness, true fulfillment, and contentment in God for those who willfully cut themselves from the public assembly of the saints. You can't ask God to do for you while disobeying the means of grace he has provided. So today let us resolve, and of course I'm preaching to the, to the choir as it were, right? Since you're all here. Let us resolve to keep meeting together physically. Unless extreme situation of physical health prevents us from doing so. So give God your thanks. Resolve to continue gathering for worship. And just finally, just finally, pray for those backsliding from public worship. You see, because a true happy life is a fruit of participating in the gathered worship of God, we must pray for those backsliding from public worship. The Song of Ascents ends with a prayer for the peace of Israel. Peace upon Israel. I think the prayer is not just for peace in the country. 
so that Zion can be a safe place. I think this prayer, you see, is a burden within the pilgrim for everyone in the country to grow in true happiness of God by joining him in the gathered worship of God in Zion. As we gather to worship God, our time together, you see, beloved, should be a time full of joy and tears. Joy because God is among us. Our Lord still walks among the lampstands. That's why, that, that's why we should be full of joy. But there should be tears too when we meet. Tears because others are missing. People we love are missing from the gathered assembly. Someone today has probably chosen to miss gathered worship because the deceitfulness of sin has given birth to an unbelieving heart. Someone has probably misgathered worship because the fear of death has replaced the fear of God that she once had. Someone has probably misgathered worship today because they are currently sinking under the weight of emotional pain and suffering. And that keeps us from worship. The question is not to think negatively of those who are not in the gathered assembly. The question is for us here in the gathered assembly to ask ourselves, are we concerned for them? Is our heart broken for them? Have you noticed they are not here? Are you truly broken that they are missing out on growing in happiness? Well, if you are, I can just give you a final suggestion as we end. Why don't you write down the name of someone in the church you haven't seen today. Just somebody that, you know, you perhaps have seen in the past, but you just haven't seen today. Why don't you write down, and there may be more than one, right? And pray for them this coming week. And can I say pray specifically that God would restore them back to gathered worship soon. And if God leads you, if only if God leads you, <laughs> Give them a call to encourage them. Not to have a go at him, but just to encourage them to know how they are doing. We need to do that because today we have learned, what have we learned? That God promotes our happiness in Christ through gathered worship. And if we love them, we want God to promote happiness in their lives. So write down a name, pray for them, and if the Lord leads, give them a call or drop them an email and let them know you're praying for them. Well, may the Lord help us to grow together. Uh, may he help us to give thanks to him. May he help us to resolve, continue gathering for worship. And may he enable us to continue praying for those backsliding from public worship. Amen.